Portions of this podcast may not be suitable for children. It's real-life stories and sometimes PG-13. Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. Corey Ten Boom. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Hear true life stories, portable insight, and engaging messages. On this show, we'll think twice about life, faith, and just what could be possible when the two are combined. Broadcasting from the beautiful Great Lakes state of Pure Michigan, here's your host, Dan Henderson. Hey, thank you for joining us on the Think Twice TV podcast. Today's episode is slightly different. Usually we have several testimonies, but today we're just going with one. Uh, It's from my friend Daniel, and he had a very rough upbringing, very rough life. Eventually, he resorted to joining a deadly biker gang. Let's listen to Daniel's story. My name is Daniel. I've lived a long, hard life until when I gave my life to the Lord. It started when I was 13 and my parents got a divorce. That was the last time I've ever seen my father. The next two years with my mother, she worked in a bar. It was really rough. Um, She was never around. So I had the freedom to do what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted, make my own choices. I had to, you know, grow up fast. And um, I got into a lot of trouble at school, you know, being violent, getting in fights, that type of stuff. I stole a car one day and the police tried to block me off at an intersection. And I tried to drive the stolen car through the police barricade and ran over a police officer. I had to go to prison. Uh, juvenile prison for 365 days. After I got out, I just got really involved in the drugs. I really turned violent. And with that violence came a lot of uh, violence back from my mother. You know, she tried to protect herself a lot because I was so wild and and crazy. Um, One day I came home, my mother was there and she was trying to get me to leave and I wouldn't leave and she pulled a pistol out. So I was looking down the barrel of a loaded gun, and on the other end, I was looking at my mother's face. And to me, that was the pinnacle point in my life that made me so enraged that I felt rejected. You know, if I couldn't trust anybody, if it was anybody I could trust, I thought it would be my mother. You know, and because I felt I couldn't trust her, I went off the deep end, you know, and I got really violent everywhere I went. And my mother told me to leave the house, you know, pack my stuff, leave. I ended up meeting a woman. I got married, you know, we had a few kids. I was going to college full time, working a full time job. Um, But all the while, I was still doing drugs, you know, drinking really bad, smoking a lot of marijuana. And uh, one day I went out to the bar and I ended up getting into a, a fight with a bouncer. So drunk, intoxicated have hardly any recollection of what happened. When it was all said and done, I had uh, five to 15 years in prison for um, aggravated assault on a police officer and carrying a concealed weapon. I went in, did four years. Those first four years um, was the minimum. So I went to see the parole board and they said, no, you can't get out. When I told my wife that I wasn't getting out, that I had to do another 18 months, um, she divorced me. I got really violent in prison. I was getting really involved in the gang scene. Violence is a way of survival. You know, people try to, they try to take your manhood. You know, they try to test you and see if you're weak. 
it got so violent to the point where they had to put me in a maximum security prison. You know, and I started looking at my soul and like, why, why are these things happening to me? You know, why, why am I still in prison? Why won't they let me out? You know, why do I have to deal with this? And my crime wasn't that bad. And they call it the hole. And it's eight foot by six foot concrete cell with a steel door. And I was in there for 18 months. And you can't have nothing in there but a Bible. And I struggled with that Bible, to read that Bible like on a daily basis. Sometimes it was either the Bible or Satan. And like when I wasn't read, looking at the Bible, I felt like I was talking to Satan because I was just talking to myself. And I finally got to the point like, God, I really need your help. You got to get me out of here because I'm going to go insane. Finally, after eight years, I got released and I wanted to talk to family and my grandfather said, nobody wants to talk to you. Nobody cares about you and you've given our family a bad name, so leave. So I felt that spirit of rejection just really just welled up a lot of anger and rage inside of me. I wanted to lash out at the world. I wanted to release this anger. I went to Detroit and I ended up meeting some bikers. And they're called the Detroit Highwaymen. And I got involved with them and I had met some of the guys in prison. Once I got my vest, you gotta earn it. You know, so you gotta work for it, you gotta commit crimes. You gotta do, you gotta prove that you're mean enough and tough enough to be able to carry these colors by hurting people. After I kind of earned a reputation of being tough enough to handle my own, well, they kind of got me settled in running drugs. So I was running drugs back and forth from Detroit to Jackson on a regular basis, running cocaine, marijuana, ecstasy by the pound. The biker club, they accepted me. You know, they accepted me because of who I've become, you know, and that's what they wanted. So I felt accepted, finally, for once in my life. After being with them for about, they wanted to control all that. So they started taking my money. I had to give them a certain percentage of my money because I was a member. And so we started having disagreements about that. And that's when, you know, things started kind of going downhill with them. They made me um, head over a prospect. His crime was strong arm robbery and I had only known the guy about a week and I had told him, you know, you gotta stop doing this until we can, you know, get it structured, you know. Well, one night he went out and did it on his own without saying anything to me or nobody knowing and then I got a knock on the door one night and it was the state police with every police officer you could think of in Jackson County was at my door. And they had the house surrounded and, well, the kid had went out and murdered somebody. So he got with his attorney he ended up telling where the body was at, but they wouldn't let me go yet. So they sent me back to prison and they said, well, we got to hold you until you're cleared. We got to do forensic testing. So for the next six months, I sat in prison waiting for clearance. The warden called me up to the prison and he told me that they got clearance papers from the state police officer clearing me of all forensic evidence that I didn't have nothing to do with. I was cleared from it. But when they searched my house, they found uh, a pocket knife in my house. So they violated my parole for two more years for being in possession of the weapon. It was back to violence again and back to, you know, trying to survive through fighting, you know, and being mean and hurtful to people, you know. And my parole day was coming up and I'd been reading my Bible a little bit, you know, and the only verse that I kept reading was uh, Psalms 23. So when I was walking up to the parole, office that day to have the parole hearing um, 
a guy said, good luck. Good luck with that. And I said, you know what? I don't believe in luck. I believe it's going to be a divine appointment by God. Wasn't even saved. I was just feeling that. And I just said it. It just came out. So the hearing went good. He says, all right, good luck. See you later. And I'm on my way out the door. And I stopped. I turned around. I said, you know what? I don't believe in luck. I believe, you know, whatever happens, it's what God wants to happen. And he looked at me funny. He said, come back here. And that's all I could think about. And I was like, even though I'm walking through this valley of death, you know, this prison, it's death. You know, I'm not going to fear it because God's with me. Seek God. He goes, when you go home, seek God. I said, all right, I will. You know, not really thinking that I'm going to. I was just saying that to, you know, appease his ears. Well, when I got out, I had nobody there for me. I didn't have nobody to help me. You know, I didn't have nowhere to go. So they got me in this boarding house and everybody's doing drugs, you know? So I'm like, well, I can't, this is crazy. So I started just doing the drugs with everybody. And I felt so guilty after that. I just fell on my face in that room and just prayed to God, said, God, I just help me, you know, reunite me with some family, somebody. The very next day I'm getting high with this guy and I told him what I did the day before that I prayed to God, you know, after I smoked crack because I felt so guilty that I could start going to church. I just really want to change my life, you know? because I don't want to go back to prison. I don't want to live that way no more. And the guy said, well, I know where this church is at in Jack, downtown Jackson. So that Sunday, he took me down there to that church. And I walked in. I was in there five minutes. And this lady walked up to me. And she's like, she's looking at me funny. She says, Daniel, is that you? I looked at her. And I was like, it's my cousin Kim. I haven't seen her in 15 years. She's the only person in my whole family, on both sides of my family, that even go to church. I knew God heard me. He answered a prayer. So for the next few months, I was going to church, going to catechism, trying to get involved in the church, but I couldn't kick the drugs. And all at the same time, I got the Detroit Highway men wanting to pull me back in, and they were telling me, well, we'll give you a motorcycle, we'll give you a tattoo shop, we'll give you all this money and a place to live, and these girls and these drugs, and get you all this stuff, and we'll even make you the president of the Jackson chapter. You know, you just got to come back. And I'm like, I can't live that way. I just went to prison for one of your guys. And they made threats on me. I was so involved with them that I had their um, club logo tattooed on my hand. Whenever you try to get out of the motorcycle club and get away from it for good, if you got a tattoo on you, usually they take it off. They cut your skin. They burn your skin. Or you lose a body part, wherever it's at. So I'm thinking that, you know, I'm going to lose my hand now. You know, and by the grace of God, you know, the national boss, he just said, here, just go ahead and go. Well, God pulled me out of that. I felt a need to know what my purpose in life was. It was a struggle within my soul that I was battling with. A few more weeks went by, and every day, I mean, it, it just consumed my every thought. My purpose, what is my purpose, what is my purpose? And it got so bad in my mind, trying to figure out what it is that I, I needed to do, you know, what my purpose was, how God wanted to use me, that it drove me to the point where I, I just couldn't figure it out. And I just got so tired of trying to struggle with it that I, I, I wanted to commit suicide. I really wanted to kill myself. I really couldn't take it no more. Trying to figure out, you know, my identity. Who am I really? And what does God want to use me for? What could he possibly use a broken person like me? All the horrible things that I've done. You know, all the things that I've been through. All the people that I've hurt. All the things that I've stole. You know, all the lives that I've damaged. So I went out and I bought like $1,000 worth of crack. And I spent like the next three days in my apartment trying to blow my heart up. 
So I, I was so frustrated because I couldn't kill myself that I actually hung myself. I took a belt and I wrapped it around my neck and I looped it through, tied it to the pole and just hung there from it. I remember seeing little blue stars and white stars and I was out. But somehow the next morning, I woke up laying on the floor and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And I, I started screaming like, why, why, why? And I, on my refrigerator, I had po posted these Ten Commandments on the refrigerator and I looked at the one, it's the, you know, the first commandment that says, thou shalt not have no other God before me. And as soon as I looked at that, you know, God said, it's Sunday, just go to church. I just, I heard it, you know, in the back of my head, just say, go to church, go to church, it's Sunday. I went up to the front of the church and I knelt down, you know, and just, I didn't care who was watching, you know, and just said, God help me. You know, what am I doing? What do I do now? And I was just thinking it in my mind, you know, and I was crying, I was just crying out to God. And this man came up to me and he put his hand on me and he, he started praying over me. And, and I never seen this guy before. And he says, and he tells me, you gotta tell the truth. You have to be honest with God. And God knows what you did. And he knows he's got a purpose for you. And he knows who you are. He knows your identity and he can use you. And he, you got to lay your life down for the Lord, not for this world. He goes, and whatever you just tried to do, he goes, you got to be honest and tell your family. How does this guy know what I'm going through? You know, little did I know, it's the Spirit of God talking to him. And he says, open your eyes and look up and you can see Jesus. Reach out to Jesus. And when I opened my eyes, I saw the Lord in that church. And I, I saw him, you know, some people say you're crazy, but I, it doesn't matter. But I know what I saw, and I saw the Lord standing in this church. And he says, just reach out, and I'll carry you, you know, I'll take you. And I reached out like this, and I touched his foot. And at that moment, when I touched his foot, it, it changed my whole life. I had a tingling sensation over my whole body, you know. I had an encounter with God. You know, I'm like, what do I do? You know, I don't know what to do. I got to do something. I need help now. I need to do something. I need something really drastic right now. And my pastor said, I know exactly what you need. And I said, what's that? Tell me. She said, Teen Challenge. I came to Teen Challenge, you know, experiencing, um, being around all the brothers and everything was kind of overwhelming. But that night, I opened up my Bible and I told God, I asked God, I said, just speak to me, Lord, with this word. You know, speak to my heart. Let me know you're here with me because I'm going all out. I'm laying my life down. And I opened up my, my Bible to, to Psalms 116. And it said, when you cried out to the Lord, I knelt down and I heard you praying. When death had its ropes around you, around your neck, I saved you. And I'm like, God, that's what I just went through. And you're hearing me. And I was just really overwhelmed with the Word of God speaking to my heart at that moment. And that was the point, that was it right there, where I really started pressing in. And I really started seeking the Lord. So for the next 16 months, I just pressed in, you know, Bible study, uh, chapel, all the time, you know, prayer. So since then, I've been able to tell people about what I've been through and how I serve the Lord now. You know, I'm a mechanic by trade. I've had the opportunity to restore this beautiful truck and 
you know, as I was restoring that truck, it was like a part of me. God used to speak to me. He still speaks to me through this truck, you know. He says, when I took this whole engine out, I took the engine out and tore it down to the bare block, last nut and bolt, took the pistons and cranking everything out. And God told me, he said, this is you. You know, I took you apart and I built you back up. I'm gonna build you back up the way I want you. We built this truck back up stronger and that's what the Lord did in me. He rebuilt me stronger. Now I have an identity. I know who I am now. I am a child of God. Author and pastor Max Lucado in his book, A Gentle Thunder says, on one side stands the crowd, jeering, baiting, demanding. On the other side stands the peasant, Swollen lips, lumpy eye, lofty promise. One promises acceptance, the other a cross. One offers flesh and flash, the other offers faith. The crowd challenges, follow us and fit in. Jesus promises, follow me and stand out. They promise to please, but God promises to save. God looks at you and asks, which will be your choice? Mark 8.34 says, If people want to follow me, they must give up the things they want. They must be willing to even give up their lives to follow me. Daniel's had some struggles since leaving prison. He's been able to reunite with his kids and start over again. Do you know someone who needs a fresh start? Today is the day. Open your mind and heart and cry out to Jesus. Anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. It's time for the absolute basics of the Christian faith from Seedbed.com. Answering those burning questions like who is God, what is salvation, and many more. So, let's take a bite. The absolute basics of the Christian faith. What happens as we live out our salvation in Christ? So there are a few big fancy words that we use when we talk about salvation. They're justification, regeneration, and sanctification. Justification spares us from death. It's God's action of pardoning us in Christ so that it's just as if we'd never sinned. Regeneration gives us new life. It's God's action to bring us back from the dead and give us the power to follow Jesus. Sanctification gives us new ways of living. It's God's action of helping us to actually become like Christ. Through justification and regeneration, God has planted a new seed of life in us, where once the soil was dead and barren. Sanctification is growing in grace until that plant is fully mature. To understand sanctification, it helps to know what the word means. Sanctification means the process of becoming holy, which means to be set apart for its intended purpose. In our case, that means to do the good works God planned for us in Jesus Christ. In other words, we're meant to be righteous in the way that Jesus was righteous. And this is hard, and we can't do it on our own. But there's good news here. The whole Trinity is on the case. As 1 Peter 1-2 teaches, the Father has called us to be obedient to the Son through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Sanctification is the work of the Spirit to make us like Jesus so we can have perfect relationship with the Father. This is necessary because we come out of the box, even when we are newly born, with a sinful nature. And we've grown up in a sinful world among sinful people. So even when we are forgiven and given new life, we don't have the understanding or ability to live as members of God's family. 
Here's a bit what that looks like. Imagine you were lost in the forest as a child, and, like Mowgli from the Jungle Book, you were raised in the wild by wolves. You learned all the wolfish ways of living and hunting. You learned to fight like a wolf. You survived by killing and finding food and scaring off other animals to make sure you always had enough to eat. One day, though, a tiger comes into the forest and you can't fight him off. He's too powerful. So you retreat to your cave, but he corners you. Except that then you hear a gunshot. The tiger runs off and there are your real parents. They found you at last and they take you home again. They're just overjoyed at your return and you're glad to be saved, but you find that life in the human world is confusing. You get in fights with people who come to visit and you steal and hide food from your parents and you live in constant fear that others will try and kill you. In other words, you're still living in all the ways that you learned out in the forest. And those ways might work in the wild, but they don't work in a human family. So what you have to do is go back and learn all the stuff you never learned as a child. You have to learn to bathe, but you're afraid of water, and learn to read, even though it's not as exciting as running around in the woods. And you have to learn to trust other people, which is very hard for you. Your parents have taken the boy out of the forest, which was hard, that's turned out to be even harder to take the forest out of the boy. And that's how it is with us and God. As Paul writes in Colossians 1.22, Jesus is working to make us holy and blameless. What this means for us is that as long as we let him, God will continue to change our hearts and minds until we're totally free from those old rebellious ways. The Absolute Basics of the Christian Faith from Seedbed.com. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Many of the stories you've heard today are available in video format at our website, www.thinktwicetv.com. Find original videos, true life stories, and content to help you grow your faith at thinktwicetv.com. It's time for a bottle of Bill's Wisdom, a short single-serving message of wisdom from our friend, Pastor Bill Leach. You know, most of us are familiar with the old song, Tie a Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree. You can probably hear the music as I say it. It's been three, three long years, do you still love me? If I don't see the ribbon around the old oak tree, then I'll stay on the bus and forget about us. Put the blame on me if I don't see the ribbon around the old oak tree. You know, that song comes from a true story. It's told by a man named Warden Kenyon J. Scudder. Warden Scudder was riding a train one day. Sitting next to him was an obviously troubled and anxious young man. After attempting small talk, this young man finally blurted out his story. He was a convicted criminal returning home after completing his prison sentence. His crime had brought shame on his poor but proud family. They'd never visited him or even written him during his long years away. He hoped the reasons were they were too poor to make the long journey and too uneducated to write. However, this broken, worried young man could not be sure he was indeed forgiven. He went on to explain that he wanted to make it easy for his family. Therefore, he wrote asking them to put a signal out 
when the train passed their little farm on the outskirts of town. If they had forgiven him and wanted him to return home, they were to tie a white ribbon on the big apple tree near the tracks. If they didn't want him back, all they had to do was not put up the signal, and he would stay on the train, go west, and lose himself forever. Nearing his hometown, the young man's suspense and discomfort grew to the point where he just couldn't bear to look. Warden Scudder said, you know, let me watch for you. And the young man put his head down and closed his eyes. A few moments later, Scudder put his hand on the young convict's shoulder and whispered in a broken voice, it's all right, the whole tree is white with ribbons. Later, the young man testified, I felt as though I had witnessed a miracle. I think he had. Genuine love is miraculous. In the light of God's love for me, his grace, his mercy, there wells up within me a desire that I want to please him, I want to honor him, I want to glorify him. It's a grateful joy. It's a thankful obedience to what I feel he wants of me. That produces the fruit of the Spirit. That produces holiness. We're not working in order to please God. We already please him. And because we please him, we want to, we want to honor him and, and glorify him. And he gets the glory and the honor and praise because we look to him to help us. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast, thinktwicetv.com. Clear thoughts produce clear results. Learn the basics of the faith. Download our free mini book. It includes the ABCs with God, True and False with the Bible, and much more. To get the mini book free, go to thinktwicetv.com and click on mini book or contact us with your mailing address and we'll mail you a copy. On the next episode of the Think Twice TV podcast, we'll feature TJ's story, The Destruction of Drugs. He'll share his insights into the dark and lonely place of heroin addiction and how he broke free. We'll also feature Carlos's story. He denied his heritage of faith to focus on himself, but eventually found a way to become the hardworking family man that he always wanted to be. In Carlos's story, Rebellion Multiplied. We'll also have Dozier's story, Lost in the Crowd. Former MSU football player tells about the esteem of being a Letterman athlete and how he lost it all and how he came back even better. Hey, thanks for listening. This is episode 12 of our first season of the Think Twice TV podcast. It's a little hard to tell the impact that we've had so far, but I'd like to hear from the listeners. If you're out there listening, let us know. Do you like the show? What don't you like? What would you like to hear in future episodes? Just give us some feedback to let us know, you know how we're doing and what we can do better. Really appreciate it. You can find us on Facebook at Media Messengers Evangelistic Association. Would you stop by and click that like button? Then send us a message and let us know what you think of the show. You can also reach us through email. Send us a line at mediamessengers at yahoo.com or on Twitter. You can find us at mmessengers. Hey, thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. This venture is sponsored by Media Messengers Evangelistic Association. Revealing the love and power of God through media. www.mediamessengers.org If you like the show, follow us on social media and please help us reach more people. All our social links are in the show notes.